1: Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the Divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to kd. Hey, Krishna, what advice
2: would you give your younger self? (laughs) <laughs> Chill the fuck out, that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> Relax, boy, take it easy. Yeah, I'd, I'd give myself, I'd sit my ass down, i give myself a talking to, that's for sure. Can you talk about practice some more is chanting enough or is meditation necessary too? Well, <clears throat> you know, I asked Siddhima the same question once. Not quite like that. But, you see, Maharaj used to always tease us. He used to look at us and he'd say, you know, I have the keys to the mind. I could turn your minds against me. And we would say, Baba, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> and he wouldn't laugh. And uh, he'd say, I'll transfer you. And we
1: don't, don't do that, don't do that.
2: But the thing was, so I, one time I said to Sidney, well, I said, Ma, you know, if Maharaji has the, the keys to the mind Now, I know some of you might find that a difficult concept, but what can I tell you? You'll just have to suspend your disbelief temporarily. Uh, I said, Ma, if, if he has the keys to the mind, then that means to me, that means that I am where he wants me to be. Where I'm supposed to be, but where he places me. So I said, Ma, so then what's the deal? Is there effort necessary or is it all his doing? Is it all his grace? So she said, Krishna Das, it's all grace. But you have to act like it isn't. So what does that mean? It's an incredible statement. It means that on one level, everything is Unfolding perfectly the way it's going to unfold. Uh, If you step out of time, then there's no past or future. There's only now. And everything is done. You're already enlightened, etc., etc. But in time, we don't know that. In time, where we are bound, we, we suffer and we, we, we long to be free of limitation and suffering. And in the Gita, Krishna says, when he's showing Arjuna his universal form, the universal form, he says, I come as time. I come as time. That is one of my forms. And all beings enter into me and come and come out of me in an endless cycle of birth and rebirth. So that's one aspect of Krishna. But he's also beyond time, and that's the realm of grace. So I said, "Ma, should I should I meditate or should I chant?" And she said, "Well, what do you like to do?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you know, I like to chant." She said. The idea that what I like to do would be good for me wasn't something that my, my birth mother ever told me. So meditation is, is chanting, and chanting is meditation also. And it's sneaky because you don't think when you sit down to meditate, you get very serious. You know. Okay, now I'm gonna meditate, I'm gonna quiet my thoughts, I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna blah, blah, blah. But when you when you Chant, you don't have any of that overlay, that heavy egoistic overlay. You just chant. And you pay attention, and the chant keeps bringing you back when you're gone, and that's meditation. But you can do any practice you feel drawn to, any meditative type practice you feel drawn to. You have to listen to your own heart about what practices you feel like doing, and then do them. But do them, that's the deal. You don't do, nothing's going to happen. You plant no seeds, nothing grows. Did Maharaji ever mention Yogananda? No, not specifically. But, you know, in Autobiography of the Yogi, there's the story of where Lahiri Mahashai meets Babaji in the mountains. And Babaji meets him and he says, Come with me. And he takes him to this cave. And he takes him in the cave. And he says, See this, see, here, this was your duni. This was your sacred fire here. And see, here's your chimta, your the these metal tongs that you use to push the, the wood around. Here's your asan, here's where you used to sit. There was a, a cloth. This, in his previous life. And he sat, he told him to sit down, he touched his head and Leheri Masha remembered all his previous births and was, uh, uh, I don't know if he was fully enlightened, what that means even, but in other words, he was initiated very heavily at that moment. And um, so I've been to that cave two or three times. It's way up in the hills, it's hard to get to, but it's really an incredible place. Uh, So one in 1995 was the first time I went there. And uh, I was staying with Tuaris and the oldest son, Sherrod, was there with us and we decided to go. Uh, it take a, it would be a two a day trip from there and we were going to sleep up there in the mountains somewhere. And uh, Mr. Tiwari, KC Tiwari, said, oh yeah, one day, I remember now, I, I was up there once with Maharaji walking on those hills and he pointed to this, uh, this little area and he said, oh, up there was Lahiri Baba's cave. I was there. What does that mean? I, we have no idea what that means. But Maharaji knew all about that. So that's the only thing about Yogananda that I heard. can I explain Maharaji's words, people come already taught by God? And the the next phrase was, anyone who poses as a teacher does so for the sake of their own ego. That's what he said. I can't explain it because I'm not him. I, I don't, I can't really understand his words from the place he's talking from. But what I do feel about it is that program is running. Karma is unfolding. Everyone is in a sense doing the best they can with what they have to live through. And uh, we come with the program already running, so you just have to kind of surrender. From the, from the point of view of a devotional path, surrender is the only thing that's required: giving up your uh, egoistic will and. Diving deeper into your true will, into your true self, and understanding, like <clears throat> when I hurt my knee in India, uh, I was obsessing about why did I, what what happened, what kind of karma is this, you know. Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> so, Maharaji, a couple of different things happened. One thing happened uh, I figured I was going to have to go to the hospital because my I stepped in a hole and my knee was like swollen, completely swollen, and I could barely walk. So we weren't supposed to come to the temple until uh, the afternoon. Uh, But I figured I have to get to the doctor. So in the morning, Raghu helped me walk to the temple I had to lean on him all the way, I could hardly, I couldn't put any weight on my leg. And uh, I limped in and Maharaji was sitting in the middle of this big empty courtyard and with one Indian guy sitting with him. And uh, in the morning, it was probably eight, nine (coughs) o'clock. And um, I limped up, I sat down, I had to keep my leg straight underneath the tucket, the bed that he was sitting on because I couldn't bend my knee. And he didn't say anything. He didn't like say, oh, what happened? Nothing, he just sat there for a few minutes. Then he gets up and he starts to walk towards the back of the temple. And he took uh, Gurudad's hand, that was the devotee was with him, but he always kind of many times took someone's hand when he walked. And he was walking, and the further he got away from where we were sitting, he's kind of leaning on Gurdata, leaning. And, so, and it was like he couldn't walk. And I, all of a sudden I thought, he's taking the karma of my knee. Da, 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 da. You know? The minute I thought that, he turned around, and he basically ran back <laughs> to where we were sitting, leaving Gurdata, and you know, he just started running. And he sits down on the tucket, and he looks at me, and he pets me on the head. He says, you thought I was in pain? You wanted to help me? And he's petting me on the head. Whatever. So we sat there with him for hours and hours, and finally other people started coming. <clears throat> and at one point in the afternoon, he reached into Girija's shoulder bag, Now, he used to talk to us about Jesus all the time. Not all the time, but quite a bit. So we started to read the Bible. And I have to tell you, reading the Bible while living in India, surrounded by this incredible uh, devotional spiritual culture on one level, was very different than reading it back in America before going to India. So reading it in India was very powerful because actually we were experiencing all those miracles with Maharaji. And when we read in the Bible about Jesus, we we said, oh yeah, we we know what that is. It was so different after meeting him. So anyhow. So he reaches down into Girija's shoulder back and he pulls out her Bible and he opens it up. He doesn't even look, he just opens it up and says, read that, just like that. Now he's not supposed to be able to read English, but besides, he didn't even look at it. He just said, read that. So I, I wrote it, I, I looked at it and it said, it was from St. Paul, letters to the Corinthians. I always forget exactly what it is. Nina will probably remember. But it said, in order to uh, save me from the abundance of revelations, to save, my, save me from being prideful, I think it was, from the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the side. And I beseeched the Lord three times to take, it, take, take the thorn from me. And the Lord said... My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness, in the fact that you can't do anything to save yourself. It's only grace that will save us. And our work is to purify our hearts and to the place where we can actually surrender the false notions of ourself, our self our small s self Ramdas and I talked about this for 50 years <laughs> and the last thing we came up with we both said yeah we're proof of that and it's a very a subtle concept surrender is not giving up It's not giving oneself up to a, another's power Surrender is dissolving in love It's not a power trip. It's the recognition of the way things are. It's a recognition that the atma the small the the, the self that capital as self within us our true nature is no different than the supreme atma, the paramatma, supreme being. This is a reflection. The same light is reflected in not just me, but everyone. Our true nature is not different, but we don't know that. So, by doing practice by coming to try to understand what the path is about, we're constantly letting go of being stuck in our thoughts. And every time we come back, the glue that holds us to those erroneous thoughts and emotions, the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves that we're not even aware of, the fact that we believe everything we think. Really? So it, it starts to thin out the glue that holds us to those. And little by little, we, we gradually but inevitably begin to sit more deeply in ourselves, in our true self. And that's the short answer. <clears throat> Someone's asking about if, Have I read Being Ramdas? This is the book, Ramdas's biography, autobiography, biography that just came out that uh, he wrote with Ramesh Radas. It's just a great book. He was a wild guy. He was a wild guy. <laughs> read it. It's a trip. It's fantastic. Uh, really, really wonderful. Great stories, and Ramdas just shines through it so beautifully. Some, I don't know these chanting, what do they mean please? It sounds like you're Indian and you don't know the chanting? Uh, I don't know what to tell you. These are the names of God. That's all they are. The names of your own true self. The names of that one in which we live through the repetition of the name, everything is accomplished. Maharaji said, Ram Nam Karne Se From going on repeating these names, everything is brought to fullness and completion. It's spiritual practice. The intellectual understanding of all these names is not required. It's not even useful, as far as I'm concerned. Other people will tell you other things. You pick what you want to do. How to deal with and be comfortable with living alone. Recently moved to, new, to a new city during the pandemic. <laughs> Good timing. And no, no one here takes a toll on me not, not to have anyone for socializing. Makes life feel limiting. there's a difference between lonely and alone if you've been doing practice for any length of time your whole approach to life is to try to be present with whatever is there even difficult stuff because difficult stuff arises always and so, yes, it can be difficult to be alone. Other people would, would be bliss, totally blissed out being alone. Or you just, you'll notice that some days you feel okay, some days you don't feel okay. Don't get caught in the story. It isn't forever. Be here now. And use this time to see how dependent you are on the external pleasure buttons and buttons that you push all the time to stay uh, engaged in something and and to avoid being eaten by your own thoughts and your own mind. It's a very difficult time for most people because their minds are just devouring in them. All this, I think you could say that so much of the intensity of the social uh, uh, issues and the political issues and the polarizations that are going on now come from the minds of people. And I'm not saying they're wrong, not at all. I'm just saying that the intensity of it now has a lot to do with the fact that people are bouncing off the walls and don't know how to deal with their own minds. And it makes everything super intense. And we have no way of, of releasing that pressure that we feel when our thoughts are just devouring us and we're totally depressed and going into a black hole and with fear and anxiety. and It's difficult. It can be very difficult. But what are you going to do? This is what's happening. So uh, I'm sure there's plenty of things you can do groups you can join online in one way or another, that you can take classes online, you can join groups, you can have conversations with people. But yeah, no, it's a different world right now. And uh, we we weren't prepared for this. We didn't have, most of us don't have the skills to deal with daily life as it is. So it can be very difficult. And you're not alone. You're not alone at all. Everyone's having a hard time. So, it, you know, do the best you can. Get Try to get some physical exercise, if it's possible, to burn off some of that extra energy. And uh, it's a great time to do practice because we're like sitting in boiling water. It's it's not it's not hard to see what's going on in our heads because it's in three D, four K, technicolor. So, you, Nien, you can put in some more questions if you want now. <clears throat> Um, what was it like to receive Maharaji's darshan? Can you describe one of the sweetest moments you shared with him? Well, first of all, I first had his darshan I first felt his presence. I didn't see him with my eyes physically, but I first felt his presence when I met Ramdas for the first time. I went up to New Hampshire where Ramdas was living after coming back from India after his first trip. And when I walked into the room where he was sitting without any eye contact, without a word being spoken, I was struck like a lightning bolt, and in that instant I knew, beyond a doubt, I knew that whatever it was I was looking for was real. It was real, it was in the world, and you could find it. This was the first, I, later I understood that this was my first, that I was aware of my first time of feeling Maharaji's presence. Then, of course, a year and a half later, I go to India and um, meet him in the body for the first time. And, you know, so all for the year and a half before that, I was feeling him all the time. I would dream about him. I would feel about, feel it. It was incredible. You know, he was everywhere. Then I get to Kenshi And we walk in the room where he's sitting and it was very uh, confusing. It was really shocking because here was this little guy wrapped up in a blanket. That was Maharaji. But what about what what I've been feeling for the last year and a half? (laughs) It was like, wait a minute, how does all that get in that little blanket? How does that work? It was like... It was intense, but he was so sweet. He was so sweet and loving that that initial kind of, uh, I don't even know what it was, what you could call it. it. It kind of finally calmed down, it disappeared. One of the funniest moments I had with him one day I walked to the temple from Nainital, where, when we were living at the hotel in town. We'd go to the temple every day. So one day I decided to walk over the mountains. It's about three and a half, four hour walk. I do not even know. I, there were like, there wasn't really a path or anything, but somehow or other you kind of knew which way to go. <clears throat> So uh, all the way, I was starting to learn Hindi a little bit. And I, I was, I wanted to, what I, what I wanted to do, I was learning this line to say to Maharaji. I was gonna bow down to him, offer him these apples, and I was gonna say, Maharaji, my life is in your hands. This was my big thing. And for three hours, the whole way, I rehearsed this line to myself over and over and over in Hindi. So I get, to the, I get to the temple, and I walk in, and he's sitting all alone outside by himself. It was very rare to see him all alone. So I went up to him, I bowed, I gave him my apples, and I said to him, Maharaji, your life is in my hands. <laughs> he went, At that and he hit me on the head. Go away, get, go. And he laughed. It was so funny. <laughs> it was so sweet. The sweetness. Oh. You know, if you imagine in your heart of hearts what it is you want to feel, what would be the feeling that is number one, is the feeling you long for, whatever you want to call it, that's what it was like with him. Not always. Many times he would keep everything like a little crazy and chaotic because to kind of keep us from... uh, He did never let us meditate in front of him. Like if we tried to sit and close our eyes, he'd hit us with a banana or an apple, you know. (laughs) He kind of, he, he didn't... He wanted to keep us here, engaged. It was, it was interesting. It was all about hanging out, talking to people, asking questions, and laughing, and joking, and teasing people. And it was just amazing. The invocation I do at the beginning is called the Sri Hanumat Stavan. And uh, it's on my, some of my CDs and it's probably up on the website. Neen, if you know, uh, if you have the words to it, would you put a link or something in the, in the chat for someone to find it? Um, some of these questions are, are, you know, we all, many of us have friends, some very close friends who have either died from COVID or are sick right now in the hospital right now. So I also have a number of friends who are going through it. Um, you just wish the best for them. You can offer the, the so-called merit of your practice for them, that, that their karmas uh, lighten and they, and they suffer less, whatever happens. Yeah, I think that'll be it for tonight as far as the questions go. All right, let's try to do this. So in the Ramayana, in the Ramcharitmanas of Tulsidas, which is the a retelling of the story of Ram, which was originally written down by Valmiki, um... <clears throat> There is a long story. I'm not going to tell you a whole story now. But at one point, Sita and Ram, this is, they haven't met yet. And Sita's father, Janaka, is doing a swayamvara, which is a, uh, a ceremony where Sita has, gets to choose her bride, her, her, her husband. And there's actually a contest. uh, And there's a bow of Shiva in Janaka's kingdom. And it's supposedly Shiva's bow. And the story is that whoever can break this bow would be worthy of being chosen by Sita as a husband. So kings and princes from all over come to to try to break this bow and uh, qualify for being chosen. So, um, Ram and Lakshman come, are sent there by their guru. And Sita looks down from her window, her bedroom, and she sees Ram for the first time and completely falls in love with him. This is like the soul seeing the Supreme Soul, getting a glimpse, and after that, the soul only wants to merge with the Supreme Being. In this case, Sita uh, represents the individual Atma, and Ram represents the Paramatma. And on this level, they appear different, but on the next level up, they are one. There are two sides of one coin. They've taken separate forms in this world to accomplish the destruction of evil and negativity, which happens later in the story. So in the meantime, so Sita is so enraptured with Ram, and actually Ram notices her, and he's also enraptured with her at the very same moment. She goes into her garden, her secret garden there in the palace. And she goes up to the murti, or the temple of the goddess. And she prays to the goddess that Ram will win and that she can marry Ram. And that they can be united. So this is the prayer that she sings when she goes to the garden and prays to the goddess. And then when she finishes praying, the mala, you know, the the flower garland that the goddess is wearing falls from her neck into Sita's hands. And then Sita knows that her prayers have been answered. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part. (laughs) And then we'll sing, hey, mata durga.
1: Yeah. Swambasa Biharani Seva Toy Sulamba Palachari Burdayan Tripura Piari Devi Puji. Pada muni sukare Moram norat Janahum neke, Pura Pura Sabahi Keneheum Pragata Nakarana Tehi Asakahi Charana Gahedehi Inaya Prema sabai kasimal murati muskani sadar siana dareu Parashuhiya Bhareu Sunisiya Satya Asisa Hamari Pujihi Manna Tumare Tumari Narada Sada suche sacha, soberu melehi jahiman no racha. Father